Hello and welcome to the podcast of the Lotus Eaters. Today, it is Wednesday, the 27th of September of the year of our Lord, 2023, and it is episode 750. Today, we are joined by Louis Brackpole. Hello. Nice to have you back, Louis. Thank you. And we're going to talk about New York being defeated by buses, exactly what you've heard, uh, a very British non-crime, and Ibram X. Candy after the money, question mark. Now, uh, before we start, Louis, you've been with us uh, several times, but mm. do you want to tell people where people can find you? Of course. Yeah. Thank you once again for having me back. I love being here. So it's great to be back. Uh, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, that's Lewis underscore Brackpool. Uh, you can find me there where I, of course, just post whatever these days. Uh, you can find me on Instagram under just Lewis Brackpool. Uh, and you can also find me on YouTube if you want to check out some of my video content, which I talk politics, culture, and agendas, which is all, it's all very fun. Great. I must say that I really liked your segments on Lampedusa. Oh, thank you. And I'll check out more of that. Nice one. Thank you very much. Great. Now, before we begin, we have an announcement to make. Tomorrow, you should join us for Lads Hour number four on the Reddit question that uh, Harry stages, and he's going to be joined by Charlie, Nick, Connor, and Rory. So check it out. Tomorrow, five o'clock UK time, it's going to be live. Uh, 3 p.m., sorry. Okay, I, I got a bit uh, confused. That's all right. Right, so we are going to talk about New York City being defeated by buses. H have you ever heard the city being defeated by buses? Uh, no, I haven't. This is a first, being completely defeated by buses. Sounds uh, intriguing, so I'm looking forward to this. Yeah, so we have, you know, Godzilla versus Kong, <laughs> Mega Shark versus Giant awesome. Octopus, and here we have New York, New York, New York City versus Republican buses. <laughs> cool. The Republican buses won. <laughs> now, um, when it comes to illegal migration, you could say that the southern border of US is something like the Mediterranean in Europe. Mm-hmm. There are, uh, this is the main area of migration flows. So, for instance, in the U.S. from Mexico and other Latin countries in, let's say, Latin America or, sure. or a different one, they enter through the southern border. Mm -hmm. And in Europe, we mostly have areas through the Mediterranean. We have Gibraltar, we have uh, Lampedusa in yeah. Italy, we have uh, Greece and the Greek Isles, mm -hmm. and also we have um, the... Uh, the road from Bulgaria to, yes. to Europe, to mm. the rest of Europe. Now, um, for some time now, there has been a U.S. southern border crisis, and uh, Democrats or supporters of the Democrat Party, I should say, they have denied that there was such a such a such a crisis. Of course. <laughs> for them, it's a good thing. Yeah. But uh, now we will talk about Democrats ranting against other Democrats as well, not just mm. against uh, other people who oppose these policies, they are starting having something like civil strife yeah. or internal conflict among the ranks. Yeah. And it is really interesting and it shows the nature of the left as being basically structured against uh, around the effort and the ability to blame game, mm. to engage in blame game. Everyone blames everyone else. They never assume responsibility. I would say that this is almost metaphysical. This is how they view things to the core. It's never an individual's responsibility for their own actions or their policies. It's always someone else's or an institution, another person, a structure. It's never their own responsibility. So um, up so far, up till now, people who have talked about there being a U.S. southern border crisis have either been ignored mm -hmm. or labeled as, you know, extremists. Of course. 
But now, as we said, we have supporters of the Democrat Party realizing that there is a problem with numbers. Now, uh, before we begin, if you would like to support us, you can visit uh, lotusseeders.com, our website, and consider sub subscribing. You could subscribe for as little as £5 a month and gain access to all our premium content. And you could watch videos such as Symposium 37. It's uh, the discussion Bo, Carl, and I did on Machiavelli's Discourses on Levy Part 2. And we are talking about more about uh, Machiavelli's greatest hits. You see him here dressed like a bat out of hell, singing songs like, <laughs> I would do anything for Firenze, and I would definitely do that. <laughs> Bella Italia. And also, might as well face it, face it you're addicted to plots. Now, <laughs> let's go here and see what happens. And see, talk about problems with buses. Now, this is an article from Daily Mail, and it says tensions flare over migrants in New York City. Staten Island protesters are arrested while trying to stop buses carrying asylum seekers to shelter as they yell, take them back. Mm. Footage from the scene shows protesters banging on the bus windows as they try to prevent the migrants from entering the shelter in Midland Beach. And let us just give you an idea of numbers. It says over 110,000 asylum seekers have arrived since the spring of 2022 with over currently 10,000 arriving every month. Right. And we can scroll here a bit down. It shows some of the footage. Oh, wow. Yeah, it was general. Sign. AM. We have several trending weird ar articles there. <laughs> Something I see something about Virginia candidate support collapses after live online sex <laughs> sessions. It's the most viewed category. Yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> Right. So what happened here is that basically uh, Democrats have started understanding that numbers pose a problem. Of course. Because if you remember, uh, de uh, the Democrat Party has been, let's say, in favor of open migration and, and open yeah. borders. They have very much hinted that anyone who would suggest otherwise is an extremist and yeah. someone who does not have a place in their society. But it is interesting to see that right now when they come across and when they encounter the consequences of their own policies, sure. they don't like it. Mm. How does this seem to you? Well, I'll, I'll tell you what, it's an interesting development because like you mentioned, Democrats are usually for open border policy. So to see Democrats within their own party having that sort of tug of war with this subject, I think is a good thing because it shows that actually there are some sane people within the Democrat Party that actually want to address the issue, forbear it's taken them this long to realize. Um, and of course, it happens in a Democrat city. So if it would have been in a, in a Republican uh, state, we probably would have seen a different answer. But because New York, uh, being a very, very liberal state, we're going to, of course, see the conversation open up a little bit more on the Democrat side, but that's just that's just my view of it. All. I think that to a very large extent, they are trying to give a different interpretation of mm. of the situation because it's not like they started saying suddenly there's a problem with numbers, sure. therefore Republicans were correct. Yeah, they blame the federal government for not giving a response to that yes. because they're saying that these these let's say issues need a response from the federal government, sure. and the federal government does not give such a response. But they would not suddenly 
turn and claim that, well, we need closed borders now, mm. they would argue for something different, I, I think. that They would argue for a different distribution of the migrant influx across the states. I've seen as well um, the blame being shifted to sanctions. Uh, I believe AOC, I think, spoke about that briefly. She did, yes. Um, and said that we should look to, I believe, lift sanctions. I'm not sure if that's 100% correct, but uh, she, she says if we just stop sanctioning um, Mexico, for example, or Southern America, Venezuela. Venezuela and other places, then we wouldn't have this issue. And it's like, well, it's not as easy as that, but... <laughs> Where every socialist country like uh, Venezuela, for instance, or a country that has a centrally planned economy, mm. it's always uh, one step away from utopia for people like AOC. Mm -hmm. And the whole reason why the utopia has not materialized mm. is to be traced outside that country. It's always something external. Yeah. Because God forbid, who could ever say that uh, oh, socialism would my policy work? that uh, made this happen. Yeah, yes. It's something so, else. I, I am willing to consider that there are people uh, who are, let's say, between the swing voters, mm -hmm. who are in the swing voter category, who will wake up to it. I am not positive on that when it comes to the leadership of the, of the Democrat Party. But mm. yeah, I mean, of course. So let's see here. Colin Ragg says, um, Justin, New York City is gearing up to pay over $1 billion on just hotels over the next three years to house illegal migrants. Good. That's what happens when you call yourself a sanctuary city, but that's just the hotel costs. New York City Mayor Eric Adams estimates that the total cost of the migrant crisis will be about $12 billion over the next three years. We're past our breaking point, he said, with more than uh, 557,300 individuals currently in our care on an average night, it amounts to $9.8 million a day, almost 300 millions a month, and nearly 3.6 billions a year. Residents in New York City have had enough. In the video below Staten Island, locals were arrested for blocking migrant buses. Mm. So this is terrifying numbers. Huge, hugely terrifying. And, yeah. you know, you compare it with our situation here in the UK. I mean, it's a pond to an ocean, really, if you compare the, the situations. But the situations is the same issue, uh, which is, well, I mean, it's unsurprising, put it that way. Our overlords seem to be, uh, well, for me, I don't know what your take is on this, but for me, it seems to be almost by design at this point, and it's just being allowed to happen. But at least there is a conversation opening up. I, I think there is uh, one, and uh, it is allowed to continue for several reasons, but I would say most of all is cheap labor. Sure. I th cheap I think labor and boats. the main reason. Yeah. Um, yes, and this is a bit frightening because think of not wanting this, mm. of being against it for several reasons. And also, you cannot just say that numbers don't count. Of course. Uh, I mean, suddenly, if, let's say, let's say, if 10 billion people, that's, of course, hypothetical. Sure. Just uh, try to make their living in Lampedusa. <laughs> there would be... Lampedusa would be stifled. It would not happen. So numbers definitely count. Of course. Okay? Yeah. And it's good to exaggerate sometimes when we're trying to get across to people who may consider to themselves in the swing voter category and they are constantly fed up with the idea that anyone who would suggest otherwise is someone who should not be, who has forfeited their rights mm. to live, to breathe or whatever. Mm. This is 
This is total nonsense, and we should resist it, I think. Now, uh, but imagine this, that suddenly there's a, there is a necessity or a perceived necessity, it is communicated as a necessity, to pay billions of dollars. Let's say 10 billion, 11 or 12. Let, let's say 10 billion. Mm -hmm. Where is this money going, going to come from? And who is going to pay? It is either going to be come from a direct tax mm -hmm. or from an indirect tax. Again, printing more money by the Fed. That's why, that's, that's why a lot of people, including myself, are really starting to see that it could potentially be by design and yeah. that it's just being orchestrated and it's just being allowed to happen. So yeah. it's understandable. And uh, let's see the next clip, please. Yes, we have here... Um, this is uh, Eric Adams, mayor of New York City. Let's hear him. We've turned this city around in 20 months. And then what happened? Started with a madman down in Texas, decided he wanted to bust people up to New York City. Hmm. 110,000 migrants. We have to feed, clothe, house, educate the children, wash their laundry sheets, give them everything they need, health care. And this team here, we stated, let's do everything possible before we have to push it out into neighborhoods and communities. Month after month, I stood up and I said, this is going to come to a neighborhood near you. Well, we're here. We're here. We're getting no support on this national crisis. And we're receiving no support. And let me tell you something, New Yorkers. Never in my life have I had a problem that I did not see an ending to. I don't see an ending to this. I don't see an ending to this. This issue will destroy New York City. Destroy New York City. Interesting. We're getting 10,000 migrants a month. One time we were just in Venezuela. Now we're in Ecuador. Now we're in Russian speaking coming through Mexico. Now we're in uh, Western Africa. Now we're getting people from all over the globe have made their minds up that they're going to come through the southern part of the border and come into New York City. And everyone is saying it's New York City's problem. Every community in this city is going to be impacted. We got a $12 billion deficit that we're going to have to cut. Every service in this city is going to be impacted. Woe is me is all I got from that, really. Yeah. <laughs> this is a Democrat mayor. Yeah. So, yeah. but this is fun because, and it is interesting. I mean, of course, it's not fun because it's a it's a major problem. Sure. But what I want to say is a bit. It shows some hypocrisy, I would say. Mm. Of course, because, because it, the de Democrats have been pushing open border policies for so long, and then as soon as it comes to their back door, yeah. suddenly it's oh, it's going to destroy our city. It's like yeah, if, yes. a, a lot of Republicans and a lot of people on the right have been saying this for years, but you call them extremists and conspiracy theorists. So, and I would say that this is. This is a mess, and Complete mess. I last time I checked, the 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 governor of Texas mm. is a Republican governor, and he's not in favor of an open border. Abbott, I think his name. It's is. interesting that he's talking about the madman down from Texas sending red Republican buses flooding New York City. But why should the 
Republican governor uh, allow his city to be destroyed by policies that he is not in favor of and Texans are not in favor of <laughs> so, I, I so that Eric pro. Adams can, can virtue signal I've... without suffering the consequences of his policies. Now he suffers the consequences of his policies yeah. and he's blaming the Texas governor. Well, what's funny is I thought they were pro redistribution. So there you go. Yeah. S smell there, smell the coffee. Yeah. So I would just say that what is interesting here is that he recognizes that there is an issue with numbers. Mm. These, these numbers are created by the policies that he has been in favor of. Yeah. But when he encounters the consequences of the policies that he's, he has been advocating, he just blames someone else. Of course. Who was against these policies. But that's, that's a classic politician move though, right? Yeah. You should never, because as a politician, to be seen as weak or incompetent is like the worst thing you can do for a PR or what, whatever. So to have, <laughs> so for him, if he was to turn around and say, "Yeah, well, to be fair, our entire party uh, is very pro open borders," so it's kind of what happens. But you know, he's obviously not going to come out and say that. So they have to shift the blame anyway. So it's just classic political talk. It's just yes, classic. but it's it's also blame game. But it happens on so many levels now. Because I think that it is endemic in left-wing politics mm -hmm. due to the aversion that leftists have in general when it comes to the concept of personal responsibility. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, he has been personally responsible for advocating such policies. Of course. When he encounters the consequences of these policies, he blames other people. Well, I, I find this weird, but... Um, there is a blaming game that occurs in so many levels. So, for instance, you have, we can check here, for instance, uh, this by AOC. Mm. She's talking about sanctions against Venezuela. Yeah. And she's talking about the southern border. And she is basically saying that they have been authored by Marco Rubio and that shortly after those sanctions were enacted, yeah, it, we started seeing dramatic increases. Another blame game, blaming another politician. And yeah. she also quotes herself. She quote tweets her, her tweet. She <laughs> says, to actually address the asylum crisis, we must start with a US foreign policy and global dynamics creating it. The broad, broad Trump-Rubio sanctions have played a major role in driving millions of people out of Venezuela. Serious discussions about asylum seekers should address this. Ah, so it's Trump and Rubio's fault that uh, so many people are flooding into uh, the US. Interesting. And okay. you were uh, remarkably prescient before because you talked about AOC and uh, how she was talking about Venezuela. And hey, we have it here. It's obviously Venezuela is a socialist country. <laughs> okay, it has a, it's correct by default in her mind. I thought it was a lovely place for socialism. Yeah, I love socialism. And the only reason for the only reason for exiting socialist countries throughout yeah. the history of the 20th century and the 21st has been external sanctions. It's nothing internal that could possibly <laughs> Oh, nothing possibly make be, people exit. couldn't be to do with socialism or anything yeah. of the like. <laughs> yeah. So, um AOC is blaming US foreign policy. Mm. Eric Adams is blaming the federal government. The federal government does nothing uh, in crises that um, require a federal response. Mm -hmm. And what the federal government does is basically to accuse every person who would suggest mm -hmm. and even hint that there could be such a crisis. 
Now let's wa watch the next clip, please, the next video. Let's I watch. think it's something to watch here, how New York handles this, how the federal government handles the, what New York is doing, whether or not they take leadership, and how the sentiment on migrants might be changing, even among some progressives or people who maybe previously were sympathetic or apathetic toward migrants, how bringing this number of migrants into American cities might change the way some people view what's happening at the border. Which takes you know, me to my next yeah. question Can I just for you? comment on one yes, thing about please. this really quickly? I've seen real heroes in my life. I fought in the Battle of Fallujah. I was in the Iraq War. Every single day, I could not be prouder of the work that the city has been doing over the past year. It is absolutely remarkable. Housing now, currently, 60,000 people, 20% of them children. That's more people than you could fit in Yankee Stadium. That's more kids than you could fit in Madison Square Garden. This is a lot of people that we're caring for every single day. And in emergency management, I just want to make this one point. In emergency management, emergency management 101, when the local jurisdiction is no longer able to handle an emergency, you're supposed to be able to turn to the state and the federal government for help. That's that's written into federal law with the Stafford Act and and, and into, you know, you can see the history of, of emergencies and the way that this is the way it's supposed to respond. We have been turning around now for over a year looking for help from the state, looking for help from the federal government, and they're just not there. And there's a lot of finger pointing. There's a lot of blame, as Julia just said. But what we really need is partnership. We need solutions and we need real leadership coming from Washington. Again, this is someone who supports the Democrat Party. Mm. But uh, there are two interesting things here, mm. or many. Let, let me just ask you first, what did you find interesting? In I, found in, I found interesting. I'm always dubious of anyone who says um, we must look to the state or we must look to the Federal Reserve or we must look to the government for solutions and help. I'm always dubious of that because my views on the government may be pretty clear that I want less and I want them to stop putting their finger in so many pies, right? So it's interesting hearing that. Um, I, I also think it's interesting, like we've been touching on throughout this segment, that Democrats are starting to actually have this conversation. That is interesting in of itself. But once again, you're almost too late. You're too late. The policy is done. You, you've been drumming this You've been drumming the drum of open, open border policy for so long now, and now that it's coming back to, to hurt the city that you love or the hurt the city that you represent or whatever, it's now almost like, a, okay, best, best we, we do actually tackle this situation now. It's, it's, they ne it's never future thinking. It's always, it's always find the solution in the moment. It's never, well, what could happen? It's always, it's happening now. Oh, we'll deal with it now. You know? Yes. They never try to anticipate no. problems. There's, yeah, there's no anticipa anticipation. But exactly. what is interesting is that, uh, first of all, the the other lady is uh, pointing out that there are swing voters for whom this is an issue. Oh, yeah. And I'm, yeah. I'm sure you've seen one. Uh, it is a bit funny video. There's a black community in Chicago who voted 97% for uh, the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And uh, their neighborhood was uh, essentially a neighborhood, a host neighborhood for illegal migrants. And they went out and they constantly started saying, our community is being destroyed. We have lived here for so many generations. Oh. So, I mean, of course, there is a, a ton of hypocrisy there. Of course. But it is an issue for them.
Mm. So the issue is that when people actually encounter the effects of such policies that they may want to support for virtue signaling or for whatever other reasons, they actually do not like it. No. And And they start complaining. I'll tell you something. This is going to sound quite incendiary, personally, uh, and it sounds unfair for me to say, but in order for Democrats and the left, if we're going to use these paradigms, in order for them to wake up to bad policy, you almost have to make sure that they feel the authoritative boot uh, in that respect. For example, free speech. Take that as an example. Take this for an example. For them to understand that free speech is for all, not just for certain people, and people are being arrested for silly things, for people being arrested for protesting, um, like mass migration, as soon as it starts happening to them, that's when it, they start to realize, okay, we must actually deal with this problem. So it sounds horrible. I don't want it to happen to, to anyone on the left or on the right, but when you have a case of bad policy, a taste of their own medicine is the only way really for them to really smell the coffee and wake up and realize, actually, we've made a mistake. So I'm actually glad that they're having this conversation because it's a conversation that has fallen on deaf ears for, su- for such a long time. So to finally see Democrats actually talking about it is actually really refreshing. What is interesting here is that he has been, he said that he, they have been raising this, but the federal government does not listen to them for years. Interesting. That's one thing. But I don't know if you're way too optimistic on what you're saying. Now, generally <laughs> speaking, I am one of the officer's optimists, yeah. but I don't know exactly how they are going to integrate uh, this issue in their own thinking, yeah. how they are going to start thinking about uh, immigration, because we have the next clip from this discussion. Here's also, though, the, the dangerous line that I want to talk about, because Julia was just talking about sentiment from a lot of people who are sympathetic to migrants or maybe were apathetic in the past. We're at a place where so many of these people want to work, want to pay taxes, that if they don't get processed, well, we end up seeing a lot of these folks in the underground economy, which would be terrible for everyone. So you're already seeing it. So a lot of people are currently working the informal economy. And I will tell you, having spent a lot of time with the people in our care, um, all of them, number one thing they want to do is work. They all have a, and we a have loved jobs. one. And we have jobs. We have 10,000 homemade jobs in this in this state alone. We have 30,000 hospitality jobs, 5,000 agricultural jobs upstate. There's a lot of jobs that can be filled in New York State alone, let alone across the country. But the folks that I spend time with in our care, All of them have loved ones back home. It could be an aging parent. It could be a special needs child that they want to support. And they will do anything they can to support those folks. And so it is critically important that not only for them, but for ourselves, that we make these investments, get them to work and do the right thing by the people in our care. It will be good for our economy. It will be good for society. It will be good for culture. What we need to do is find a comprehensive solution. Gosh. (laughs) Do you want me to? All right. Okay. So bit ambiguous to think that every single migrant will want to pay tax and want to work. I mean, for a start, let's just be realistic. <laughs> That's not the case. That's just not the case. I'm sorry. Um, it's just uh, utopian thought. I hate it. I think that this is one of the one of the manifestations of the rhetoric that ends with AOC's point with Alessandra mm. Casio Cortez, where she says 
basically something like all those who will engage in criminal activity mm. will do so because their applications are, are not already processed. Yeah. So again, this is an extra level of blame game of where course. it's like saying if you are, let's say in the US and you're against open borders, AOC is telling you that any kind of criminal activity that illegal immigrants may enter into, it is, an, it is your fault. <laughs> and I will say that this is, this is blackmailing. Mm. And also, we should bear in mind that uh, Trump's Title 42 has been repealed, which was uh, an article that allowed for fast deportation mm. during the COVID years. And I think that this changes the picture completely because they are presenting the issue in such a manner that does suggest that numbers are a problem, mm. but the solution is not to start talking about safeguarding community. The solution has to be with the distribution of, of the migrant illegal immigrant population across the state. Yeah. And I would like to uh, end with one thing here, because it seems to me that it is important to try to talk to people who may not even consider uh, yet, who may not agree with, for instance, a hardline border policies, that there are, two, there are two distinct arguments. One is to say that people who want closed borders are not monsters, okay? Obviously, okay? But some people don't see it. No. And the other is that you should want closed borders. Now, those who are in the swing voter category, and they may not, uh, they may not, they, how should I put it? They haven't made up their minds yet. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they may not know what to think. They, I think they should think of it this way. Try, let us try to say that wanting closed borders is not monstrous. And I was thinking it this way because I'm trying to communicate this point across to other people because every Western country faces this issue. And for instance, Greece faces this as well, oh, yeah. just like the UK and the US mm. and France and Spain. So think of you and your family being in a block of flats and someone knocks on the door and gives you a very sad story, which may be true, and tells you, please let me spend the night and stay with you here. Mm -hmm. What I want to say is that it is human to not want to open. Why? Because maybe you're afraid of your children. Now, let's see the world as an extended block of flats and each block of flat as a country. That is what I want to say, that it is human to not want to open the door. Mm. Even if the other person has a, has a difficult story, it may be true or not. There is such a thing and there is such a place for saying that I need to care for my own and sometimes I don't want to take some risks. Yeah, uh, I'll tell you what, a great litmus test as well. Ask someone, how many illegal aliens are there in the UK or in the US? And if they get upset by the use of the language or they turn around and say, well, there's none, don't waste your time. <laughs> so that's with the first segment. I was thinking that it shows brilliantly the nature of uh, left-wing politics. It's all centered on blame games. Yeah, The main population is targeted and blamed for everything, like, you know, uh, things like the extinction of the dinosaurs and st stuff like that. So it's going to show how this manifests in action. Great. Cool. So we've all, we've all heard of hate crimes, of course. Uh, I'm sure many of the viewers at home have heard of a, a non-crime hate incident. Uh, and for those that haven't, um, I'm going to just read quickly uh, from this 
Fire website, which explains about the UK's police speech uh, and how that all works. It says, under the 2014 guidelines, police are required to log any non-crime hate instances brought to them by a member of the public. No questions asked. And the guidance states, uh, the victim does not have to justify or provide evidence of their belief. (laughs) And police officers or staff should not directly challenge this perception. Evidence of the hostility is not required. In other words, police have no obligation to investigate uh, the veracity of the claims. And in many instances, uh, police do not even inform those accused of committing the non-crime hate instances of the complaint against them. We were just talking off camera about how uh, crimes or the police in the UK have just gone down this social revolutionary path and how things have changed. Um, I'm sure everyone is very aware of these uh, types of crimes or non-crimes. So I decided to compile a list for this segment for you to react to and the people at home, a list of five of the most absurd non-crimes in Britain for the past, say, five years. So it should be fun. But before we get started, however, in conjunction with this podcast, you should become a premium member of the Lotus Eaters for more content. And I wanted to promote a particular analysis that coincides with what we are talking about uh, in a way. And that's how the Home Office is hiding anti-white hate crimes and aiding the cover-up of grooming gangs, which arguably is one of the most important topics um, that a majority of this country are actively avoiding to talk about, which is shameful. Do view. such crimes exist? How do you mean? Crimes against white people? Well, according to many in government and on the left, no, that does not exist. And that you cannot be racist or hateful towards white people. So that's kind of it. But do check out uh, this um, article published by Ella Hill. It's absolutely fantastic. And uh, it's very well written. And it touches on so many important points that we need to, of course, um, know as depressing as it is. So are you ready? I don't want to spoil. I am, but I want to ask you some. Of course. Something. Uh, yes, before. of course. So, when, they're t- when people are talking about hate crime, mm-hmm. is there any kind of, uh, any other kind of crime? Is it love crime? <laughs> love what, crime. What is it? <laughs> Depressive crime. Yeah, so hate crime uh, is to do with either a prejudice against someone, apparently. Yes. Um, to me, I'm a bit of a free speech absolutist. I say a bit of, I am. Um, so I don't believe you should go, uh, to prison or the law should be involved, uh, with regards to hateful speech, unless you are inciting violence. Um, you know, whatever idea it may be, the community should make up their minds on whether they deem that acceptable or not. And the law should not be involved. That's my view on it. Um, so. I'm ready. Are you ready for the so, first one? Let, let's say it's crimes that are hatefully that have a hate, hate that have a hateful agenda, agenda behind behind them. Okay, but these are so absurd that they're not even crimes, and they're not even logged as crimes. Yeah. So the first one is a an Irishman was arrested in the UK. You may know this story for causing anxiety by retweeting the Pride flag swastika meme. So um, have you seen the pride flag swastika meme? Have you seen yes, of that? Course. Yeah, that's quite a famous uh, sort of meme. Uh, this, was, this actually happened 
where police officers went to this guy's house, as you can see, to handcuff him for for post for retweeting this meme on Twitter. Please, my delicate sentimentality, have you thought <laughs> of me? I mean, um, I think we, I think they might show I'm it. In the... <laughs> let's uh, let's read a bit of, a bit more about the story. If we could uh, just scroll down just a little bit more, if that's all right. So, police in the UK have have criticised themselves after a Dubliner was arrested for quote causing anxiety by retweeting a meme of a swastika made out of pride flags. Darren Brady, 51, who was born and bred in the capital, slammed Hampshire police after he was handcuffed at his home in Aldershot on Friday. The British Army veteran served 30 years, including tours of duty in Afghanistan, Iraq, Bosnia, and Northern Ireland. Uh, Footage shared uh, social media showed uh, an officer who told Mr. Brady, Brady he was being apprehended because his post had caused anxiety and reported to authorities. I mean, how absurd is that? That you can. I, I mean, what about drivers? Drivers. Yeah, so all of them you could say cause anxiety on other true. people. True, that's yeah. very true. You're driving and you are cautious of what is going down the road, and every rider should cause anxiety to you because every driver is presenting a threat, a it's possible true. threat. It's true. And what constitutes causing anxiety? I mean, I get nervous sometimes if I have to go on a show uh, or like a segment and I know that someone is going to, of course, either debate me or, or, you know, talk down against me. Could I get someone arrested just for causing me anxiety? I don't think so. That's where the progressive agenda is going, though. Exactly. Yeah. It, it matters who is anxious. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you could say that not everyone's anxiety counts the same. I mean, it's just absolutely absurd. So it has made the list of the top five. So that was number five. Number four is next. Keep males out of women-only spaces. A sticker picture investigated as a hate crime, not for sticking the sticker, but for taking a photo of the sticker and putting it online. I'm sure you guys have seen this. Pensioner has been questioned and given a long lecture by police for taking an image of a slogan over fears of causing harassment and alarm. I mean, it's like progressive minority report is what it is. So they're they're preempting that someone may feel harassed or anxious. Um, it's, but what what did she say there? I'm curious to see the lady's response when they are. <laughs> she could say, "Well, look at these bad people. I'm taking a picture of it she so could I could go that. and report it." Yeah. Yeah. But even merely agreeing with the current thing or the message gets you into trouble. Would you mind if we just scroll down just a little bit, just so I can read the top part? There we go. Yeah. Perfect. Thank you. A pensioner was questioned by police for a hateful incident after taking a picture of a sticker that said, keep males out of women-only spaces. The retired social worker was looking at a transgender flag-themed poster in Hedburn, uh, sorry, Hebden Bridge. Hebden, sorry, I can't even say it. Um, West Yorkshire, which carried the slogan, Stand by your trans. Sorry, please, can, can I say something? I've been to Hebden Bridge. Oh, yeah? It's wonderful. Yeah? It's really beautiful. I've never been. It, it's really, really beautiful. Yeah? I, I think Yorkshire is beautiful in general, but Hebden Bridge is particularly good. And it was fun because there was one lady there, really old lady. It's all, It was all tourists. There was one really old lady keeping it real with a free Palestine flag. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no one was paying attention. Hebden Bridge wasn't particularly an urban center. No. 
but just, you know, keeping it real. Keeping it real there. <laughs> a sticker had been placed on the top of a poster that said, keep males out of women-only spaces, referring to transgender women who were born male. But the 73-year-old was left shocked when several days after she took a picture of the sticker, officers from West Yorkshire Police turned up at her home and recorded it as a non-crime hate incident. But she was shocked. She was shocked. So she was anxious. She, ah, there you go. Loophole. Yeah. If only she'd have thought of that. Um, the woman who did not want to be named out of fear of reprisal from activists told the Mail on Sunday, they gave me a long lecture about the sensitivity of the issue and how something like this could, co- could cause harassment and alarm to the community. And the fact that the government have turned around over the previous years, even, even Suella Braverman has turned around and said, um, police need to stop recording these non-crime hate instances but of course, the police in their progressive roles and their progressive hiring are continuing to record these. Yeah. So that was number four. Let, let me just add to this. I think there was a research published by Telegraph two years ago that said that around 53% of the, hate, of the victims of hate crime incidents are, are police officers. Really? Yes. So the victims are the police officers. Yes. So interesting. I have an, an incident in mind and I okay. want to see if it's going to be one of your uh, yeah? three ones. We'll add it as a bonus yes. at the end. How about that? Okay, number three. Next one. So this is a new one. Breaking the rise of the carrier bag police. <laughs> so Notts Police or Nottingham Police telephoned Karina uh, Car- Queener uh, because she rejected a pro- progressive pride flag carrier bag with the love is love motive, thereby causing the shopkeeper alarm, harassment, and distress, <laughs> and threatening the shop's status as a trans-inclusive space. <laughs> so by saying, no thanks, I don't want your pride carrier flag, a carrier flag bag, uh, that's caused alarm and distress yeah. to the shopkeeper yeah. who offered her that. By the way, it's okay to shoplift, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Anxiety caused by shoplifting, it's, it's okay. But anxiety caused by these non-crimes is not okay. <laughs> they should be tough on non-crimes. I mean, they cause themselves such, like put themselves in such a loophole and, and pickle these, um, these progressive lot. It says, uh, in a 10-minute phone call, which we have heard, the police advised that the customer... Uh, was now banned from the shop (laughs) and warned that she must not hand out any form of literature in the shop's vicinity. Yet again, the police are acting as TQI plus enforcers. I mean, so the customer has now been banned from the shop and warned, you must take pride flag carrier bags next time you shop. And if you refuse... That's one of the beauties of, uh, let's say, freer economies. If you, yeah. if you think uh, a shop has gone mental, <laughs> you stop supporting it. Exactly. Now you're not even allowed to not support something. So, unbelievable. Uh, I believe the next one is number two. And that's, uh, if we scroll down just a little bit, man lands racial, racial hatred police record for whistling the Bob the Builder theme at a neighbor. <laughs> Any thoughts why, on that? Why is that? I mean, I don't know it the causes, connection. Okay, I, I can see. It causes <laughs> you anxiety. Yeah. 
because if he's a grown up man, <laughs> uh, whistling Bob the Builder theme. I don't understand where the racial hatred theme is, to be honest. I mean, Bob the Builder? I mean, what? <laughs> uh, let's read the story just a little bit before I make more of a judgment. Um, a Bedfordshire man has ended up with a police record for racial hatred after whistling the theme <laughs> tune to Bob the Builder at his neighbour. Uh, police in Bedfordshire recorded the interaction as a non-crime hate incident, which will remain on their file for six years. This was 2021, I believe. Uh, the record should be uh, could be disclosed to potential employers impacting the man's chances of getting a new job. If a potential employer asks for a disclosure and barring service, service, I, 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 sorry, i.e. DBS check, uh, the non-crime hate incident could show up. So imagine, imagine you're applying for a job and they say, right, we're just going to run a DBS check on you just to make sure you're not a criminal. I'm sure you're not a criminal. And they go, yeah, obviously I'm not. And then they say, well, hang on a minute. He's got a racial hatred. Um, I don't want him working for my progressive company. Racial hatred. They're not going to show that, oh, it's because he was whistling Bob the Builder to his neighbor. They're not going to see that. They're just going to see racial hatred flag up. Oh, alarm bells. We can't have him. And Unbelievable. Look, look at the ridiculous phrase, non-crime oh, hate incident. It's just a non-crime I don't know if incident. I don't know if this is the phrase that the police used when they, are, when they were announcing the incident. When they are saying non-crime hate incident, they are saying basically that hate incidents are not necessarily crimes. Yeah. Yeah, they're, this they're is saying... In complete contradiction. They're saying this. that it could be crimes. Yeah. And that's the absurdity of it. And that's why this was placed second, uh, in my view, to the most absurd ones. I just want to read that little bit just below the video, actually. Uh, the Daily Mail reported few other details about the crime uh, are known. But it's just one of the bizarre cases unearthed by an investigation into the controversial practice of recording hate instances, uh, even if no law has been broken. I mean, I just, I don't know when this will end. I mean, like we were talking about earlier in the other segment, until the left, or quote unquote the left, or progressives feel the boot of this author authoritarian madness, I don't think anything is going to run a conclusion. It's it's horrible to say. I don't want any anyone on the left to go to jail for something like as ridiculous as that. But there's a part of me that says, well, hang on a minute, you've built this framework. So if you you should feel what it's like before um passing judgment on some something like this. In my I, view. It is massive hypocrisy because they have yeah. built all this tradition and uh, they have capitalized on all that this tradition of civil disobedience. Yeah. And um now people who don't who are disobedient and they don't like the policies that uh, the progressivists support, <laughs> they don't have a suddenly they don't have a right to to breathe. No, they don't. Are you ready for number one? Wait, uh, do Wait. I need a kind of psychological preparation? <laughs> Is it PG? It's a very it's a very very well known story. Okay, woman arrested for silent prayer. You heard of this? So yes. praying inside your head. We've all heard of this story. I put this as the number one most absurd um, non-crimes. Um, Vaughn Spruce. Um, I, I think I've said her name right. I probably haven't. Um, is the director of March for Life UK and helps support women in crisis uh, pregnancies. 
She's regularly prayed near abortion clinics for over 20 years. This sparked a huge debate when it came out um, where she was arrested for simply praying in her own head in what is called a buffer zone that we have in the UK, which I never knew existed actually until this particular incident happened, where I believe a buffer zone is for abortion clinics to stop any uh, protests or to stop any sort of, I think they class it as some kind of ASBO, which is like antisocial behavior, um, uh, sort of uh, laws against um, anyone trying to do that. And standing outside of the abortion centers and just thinking about things or praying is considered a breach of an ASBO. I mean, I want to take. I want to get your thoughts immediately. You know this story, right? Yes. Yeah. And I think there have been many such stories. It's not the only one. Mm -hmm. I just think it's ridiculous. I mean, what's more to say? And that's yeah. that is one of the main issues with uh, culture wars because usually I like going to the meat of the issue. There is no meat there. It's just nonsense. Yeah, absolutely. just nonsense. It, but there, it is dangerous nonsense. That it is, is not, dangerous nonsense. That's, a that's problem. the problem. The problem is that we we can laugh with nonsense, but when it becomes dangerous, it uh, it's a problem. Then it's not so funny anymore. And I would say that this is. I don't see how it can end. Yeah. Because yep. for me, progressivism and minority groups and pressure groups, they are basically a feature of divide and conquer. Yes. By politicians. Yes. Uh, the politicians who think think that uh, they are not they have lost touch with the will of the people yep. and what the people of their own countries want they do want to change the mix of the electoral system and they want of the population who votes and they want the political support of more people that's why they want to change the mix yeah and uh, a way of constantly playing one group against the other with obviously incompatible groups yeah. is a way of ensuring chaos yes. but also in the population yes. helping for do extra domination of course. because suddenly everyone is afraid to speak suddenly everyone is afraid to criticize things yes. and what is unbelievably worrying is if we bear in mind the kind of anti-free speech laws mm. that are being pushed forward in Ireland right now yes if that could that, that could definitely happen here mm. where they constantly say that it is not just the possession no it's not the dissemination of within quotation marks hateful content mm. but it's also the possession of it yes that should be penalized well we already have the communications act of 2003 which can prosecute anyone um for holding grossly offensive material on devices. So if you have like a spicy meme, you can be fined. I mean, that's how they got Count yeah. Dankula. I think yeah. uh, everyone knows Count Dankula on this show. Um, so it's worrying. It's worrying. What we should have done in this country is repealed back Tony Blair legislation. And the Tory government has had 13 years to do so, but they have not done it. They've done nothing. So... I don't hold my breath that this is going to go away anytime soon. As much as, you know, some of it is very comical because it's so absurd, this is the point of it. It's also a realization of we're in some deep 
yes. basically. It, it's it's a problem. And I would say that uh, this is exactly why discussion and disagreement and debating is important. So important. And uh, the people who want to talk about hate speech and constantly invent categories like hate crime and whatever, yeah. they have the presumption of infallibility. They think they know everything. Mm -hmm. And anyone who would dare question uh, their views mm -hmm. should basically not be allowed to exist or have any rights. Yeah. And one should be placed in jail. And I want to say that one thing that is unbelievably pernicious, and I will tie this back to you, the main point of your segment, is that the category of hate crime is a, an invention by the police, sure. by a police that has been changed from within, bureaucratically. Yeah. And is not concerned with the public good as much as with virtue signaling. Mm. And this creates a problem because lots of crime, of serious crime is on the rise, like uh, murder, burglary, burglary, drugs, mm -hmm. shoplifting. Mm -hmm. All these are really important crimes. And the police needs to show some data that they are doing something. So they have invented this silly category the hate crime to look like that they to are look doing, as if they're yeah, doing doing something more than they are actually doing. So they're saying yeah. we're tough on crime. Yeah, we're tough. And when you ask them what 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 is crime, what is exactly the type of crime you're? Oh no, no hate on, crimes. No, pulling people crime. off Twitter, arresting people for saying mean things. Yeah, arresting people for praying, arresting yeah. also sixteen-year-old uh, autistic uh, drunk children for. Oh, yes, for, for saying, saying Nana Lesbia. You look like my Nana Lesbian. Like my Nana Lesbian <laughs> and dragging them out of the house as if... I'm laughing. I'm laughing. It's not funny, but, yeah. you know, it's just so absurd that we sometimes just have to laugh. But um, that's me. Thank you very much. No worries. Now, Ibram Kendi after the money, question mark. Now, do you know Ibram Kendi? Uh, I'll be honest. I, I've heard of this guy's name before. Yeah. And I think I've seen him float around in on Twitter and things like that for some of the most um, absurd things that he said in the past. But I think this will be a little crash course for me on this segment. Okay. So do you know who Henry Rogers is? Henry Rogers, no. Okay. Henry Rogers is Ibram Kendi. Okay. <laughs> but he changed his name. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> um, because... Uh, I don't know. It has been suggested that Henry Rogers doesn't sound very exotic. Right. Okay. And uh, he wanted to make several claims about uh, the history of racism in America, in the U.S. specifically, and uh, he is known for the idea of anti-racism. Okay. Have you heard of that? I have heard of anti-racism. Um, the idea that uh, you simply cannot... Um, you have to be actively anti-racist to be anti-racist. Yes. So he has put it very succinctly when he says, the only remedy to racist discrimination is anti-racist discrimination. <laughs> the only remedy to past discrimination is present discrimination. The only remedy to present discrimination is future discrimination. Right. So you have to, you have to eradicate racism by getting rid of racism that hasn't even been racist yet. Yes. <laughs> okay. And Great logic. Actually, I think it's just a way of saying, uh, listen, guys, I want to be relevant. I constantly yeah. want to Give be around. Give me a grant. Give me a grant and Give I'll make something up. Yeah. I, I'll make something up. I constantly want to be relevant. Yeah, of course. Um, things can never be solved in that on that front. You constantly need someone, an expert on race to talk about things. So basically, 
he 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 seems to be racist. He seems to be saying that the only way to cure racism is by being anti-racism. And anti-racism seems to be everything that racism is supposed to be. It's just when people talk put the anti-clause in front of something, mm. they frequently do the same thing. So for instance, take the history of communism. When people mm. put anti in front of imperialism, or they were actually doing imperialism in the name of something of different. Yeah, yeah. It's just the change of definition. Yes. And they could say that wherever, well, I mean, we haven't reached utopia yet. We cannot act our ideals. So Very we close. are in a capitalistic context. We need to do, we need to get our hands dirty yeah. in order to climb the ladder and throw it away once we climbed it and utopia will just kick in. And it all intertwines all of this anti-racism stuff. As yeah. Well. So beware when people put the anti-clause in in front of things because <laughs> yeah. usually it's more of the same. Now, Ibram Kendi, a.k.a. Uh, Henry Rogers, mm -hmm. has written books like Stamped from the Beginning, How to Be an Anti-Racist, and How to Raise an Anti-Racist. The quote, the main quote I have to uh, mention before is from How to Be an Anti-Racist. It's from 2019. So basically by 2020, he catapulted into fame. And he started the, the anti-racist research center at Boston University. He was involved in the Amer I think in the American University, then in, in Florida University, where mm -hmm. I, I got them mixed a bit. And then they he they gave him a position at Boston University, and he leads basically the anti-racism research center. He must be on a few bob then. Yes. And he's basically a lot of people say that he is one of the most um, virulent people who uh, talk about racial animosity. It's funny you mentioned, was it, um, you say you rose to fame in 2020? I think in 2019. 2019. 2020 especially. Okay. I was, uh, okay. was going to say it's 2020, of course, we saw the rioting from Black Lives Matter all over America. So um, pretty well-timed. Yes. Indeed. So, and they were saying that he's only, he wants to be one of the major phases, faces in that movement. Okay. And one of the only rivals is Nicole Hannah-Jones of the 1619 Project. Okay. And basically, the idea is that any kind of racial disparity, any kind of disparity between races, is to be blamed on... White people. On racial discrimination. Okay. Yes, so... Anything, anything that you find to be different, any kind of disparity between different races is an outcome of racist policies. Okay. So white supremacy. And th this, is the, this is the axiom. Okay. That's the axiom. Gosh. My brain's going to be mush by the end of this. So basically, <laughs> do you want to, do, do you have a good grasp of what racism is or what anti-racism is? Uh, I, I'd like to think so. Yeah, in the context of yeah, well, what it means. Yeah, but I see you're white, ah. and you have this whiteness, and you need ah. to atone for it. Oh, I see. So I can't. And so you, I can't talk about racism because of my skin color. Yes. Right. So basically, you need to listen to to Ibram X. Kendi defining racism. This okay. is an oldie but good. I want to. I want to hear this. Unless I missed it, which is possible. I don't. I didn't hear your personal definition. Is there? Is there one that you would offer us? Like, how do you define racism? Sure. So racism, I would define it um, as a collection 
uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity that are substantiated no. by racist ideas. No, no, no. <laughs> sure, a, a collection uh, of racist policies that lead to racial inequity no. that are substantiated by racist ideas. And anti-racism is a pretty simple using the same terms. Anti-racism is a collection of anti-racist policies leading to racial, anybody want to take a guess? Equity that are substantiated by anti-racist ideas. What? <laughs> Just look. <laughs> Awkwardly laughing. Thank you. Um, thank you for this. It's the most comprehensive talk I've seen on racism in my whole life. I really oh. appreciate you. No. Yeah, how dare you question it? This is a hate crime. Uh, yeah, this is a hate crime. Yeah, this is a hate crime. To be honest, like, it's it's unsurprising. It's, it's it's unsurprising to try and stay relevant. You have to just start adding in jargon in order to make yourself sound intelligent. Then you already but trying to put a front on. There's an extra thing though. He first of all, he doesn't seem to be given a definition. He says racism is racist policies. Uh, racist people who have racist ideas and they put forth. So at no place did he define racism. No. And I think that's an example of putting um, progressives on the spot. Yes. It's a good example of someone calling someone out and saying, what does this mean? And then you realize, hang on a minute, no, I don't know what it means, so I'm just going to make it up and we need to do more of that. But I want to add something that very few people have added. Uh, this, In fact, I mean, I haven't heard uh, anyone uh, talk about it, but I'm just saying it because there may have been people talking about it. He doesn't give a definition and maybe, you know, he doesn't have one. But what he says is actually showing something weird because this is a circular definition. It's when the term you define appears in the statement that you use to define the term. Mm -hmm. This can happen in some cases. Like, for instance, when you talk about what is power. Sure. Some people say power to have the power to do something is to have the ability. To have the ability is to use the skill. To have the skill is to have the capability. And ask them, what is to have a capability? Well, it is to have the power. Mm. That's a circular account of what happens. Mm -hmm. And it usually happens when we are taking something as a fundamental element of the universe. Mm. So this sounded a bit weird and I'm not on something. Don't worry. <laughs> I'm not high on anything. But what I want to say is that on the one hand, it can be seen as profoundly stupid because he didn't give a definition. On the other hand, he, it may show that he thinks that racism is an in, integral and essential part of the universe. This is actually what his type of thinking conveys. It just that Racism is just it's everywhere around us. It's a basic, it's a force like, you know, the forces of good and evil. Racism is just essential for the universe. I've noticed the conversation with progressives. It's, say you have a road or a motorway that you want to go from A to B and they just start chucking up cones and hurdles and everything for you to somehow get out your car, jump over, move it around. It's, it just, it's catching, they're going to just catch themselves out with this nonsense. So, Going back to what I said about calling this stuff out and asking for definitive definitions, there's one thing that I noticed that I need to address as well from that video. I've noticed people doing this, okay? What is your definition of something? What is your definition? That's got to stop. It's the definition, not your definition. 
it should be it shouldn't be an idea of subjectiveness it should be objective this is the definition we all agree it shouldn't be well, what's your definition of racism no it's the definition i'm sick and tired of hearing it, it, may, it excuse me it actually really annoys me because we've seen this language change time and time again for the last couple of decades and it just gets so annoying and, and this segment's going to really annoy me by the end of the. Yes. So I'm I'm say on this that I don't think this can happen no. uh, because uh, language is very fluid. Yes, and people use uh, terms all the time in yeah. ways in different ways. Sure, but I do think that what is important is to constantly try and confront people with their use of, of terminology. Yeah, and tell them in what way do you use this term? Yeah. So when you want to talk about racism, what do you mean by racism? Yeah. When you want to talk about liberty, community, what do you mean? Because that should be a rigid answer. What is racism? Yes. You should be able to just say, yeah, not saying uh, racist policies and uh, yeah, shouldn't be, it should be just rigid. It means prejudice against someone for their skin color. Done. So let's say that he's not an idiot. Let's give that grand that assumption. And okay. he actually thinks that racism is built into the universe. It's a fundamental element and dimension of the universe, like time or space, for instance. Okay. What if such a person came and told you, give me grants to conduct research on how to win racism? Wouldn't make win. sense, would it? How to win racism. Yeah. <laughs> if he thinks that it's a fundamental... Yeah, you can't... It's like, if, if by his logic, it, it's the same as trying to... Right, well, let's beat time. Yes. That's, that's the logic he's going with. So, impossible. So, he is behind this Center for Anti-Racist Research. Right. It says, it has here the statement, be anti-racist. Yeah. And he was here, this is the anti-racist uh, and systemic racism. Right. Anti-racist research. <laughs> right. Um, okay. What are they researching exactly? This is exactly the major question. This is what makes it very funny. Okay. And you found out what they're researching. No, I no? don't know. Because there is no research. <laughs> I mean, but, but that is the issue. That That's the you, absurdity of it. There you, is no research. I mean, when you research things, you need to have an open mind. You are course, searching yeah. for things. You are searching for answers mm. that you don't think you have. But this yeah. person obviously has all, all the answers in of his course. mind. Of course, yeah. He has already decided that every racial disparity is sourced, is to be traced back at uh, racial policies. Right. He has already uh, understood, he has already figured out in his mind that anyone who disagrees with him is a racist and he should be an anti-racist. Right. And so, so what, what's there to research? Does he mean everyone is racist, like every race is racist, or is it a particular race that is always racist? I think that is the idea. The latter. The latter is definitely an essential feature of uh, right. the rhetoric. Could have guessed I, that I one. would say that the former could come in handy. Okay. Let's say you have some colleagues. Right. And you're researching with them uh, things that you already think you know the answer to. Okay. Um, telling them that they are against the cause, that they are against the right side of history could come in handy, mm. especially when you're running and administrating a center. Now, um, speaking of that, you could visit a website. Speaking of, you could say, 
sorry, Stelios versus technology. (laughs) You could visit the website, lorusidas.com, and you could uh, subscribe to our website for just five pounds a month and watch all our premium content. And you you could have access to brilliant discussions such as the one on cults, part one, that uh, Josh, Bo, and myself uh, did on uh, cargo cults. That's cool. It's a very interesting conversation. That's cool. Yeah. So they, West, they worship Western goods, airplanes, and boats that sprung up in response to contact with European civilization. Interesting. I won't say more. Check it out. Nice. Right. So let's see here. Uh, be, be, before we talk a bit about this, let me just say, isn't this the exact person you think is cut out to administrate a research center. I mean, what, if this if, guy, yeah, if there is any person in the world who should conduct research, it should be this guy. I mean, I mean, he gives such great definitions, so I'm sure his research will uh, be simply accurate and cannot be fact checked. And he has an open mind; he doesn't have all the answers yet. So <laughs> you can, be, you bet that he'll be objective. So we have here a tweet by Christopher Rufo that says, Ibram Kendi's anti-racism center is collapsing. He hired a bunch of left-wing academics that produce almost no research, but complained that he was exploitative oh. and forced them to work too hard. Now he's laid off nearly half of the employees and they're trashing him publicly. Interesting. Okay. Now, this is weird, but I want to say that I read an article here by the Daily Free Press there is tons of articles, but all of them go back to this one, and it's just lovely. Okay. So uh, it's a long article. I will share some of the main key points, but let's see here this. So Boston University hired Ibram X. Kendi to lead its new Center for Anti-Racist Research in 2020. Three years later, after at least $43 million in grants and gifts, Way too much and what sources say has been an underwhelming output of research, the Center for Anti-Racist Research laid off almost all of its stuff last week. Do you know what I think happened? What? They sort of went, hang on a minute, this is a load of nonsense we're researching. Oh. Well, we've got to give them something. So they've just delayed that <laughs> for so long. <laughs> I don't think they brought themselves to that conclusion. No. But I must say, honestly, just think of people who would give 43 million people for research <laughs> to someone who does who already knows all the answers. And then they have the nerve, honestly. I don't know if sentimentally I want him to get away with it. I, I, don't, I, I, I don't know what he has done. Oh, there are plenty God. of allegations. I'm not making any statement. Obviously, that's why we have the question. I just want to know what their research... I don't want to know what their day-to-day yeah, what is. what would you expect? You know, like people make like day in the life of a whatever. I want to know like a day in the life of a anti-racist researcher. <laughs> Today, we looked on Google. Like, you know, yeah. I want to see that. I want to see what they're doing. It says, multiple former staff members allege that the mismanagement of funds, high turnover rate, and general disorganization have plagued the center <laughs> since its inception. Oh. This is okay. High turnover rate here is the yep. funniest thing. Yeah. Because allegedly you have this idea of let's fight meritocracy because yeah. meritocracy bad. Yep. But he has a very high turnover rate. Oh yeah. It's always it's always the ones that shout the loudest that, you know, can't seem to get it in order yeah, in they, that respect. They feel they have the need to um take the attention and divert the attention yeah, there we go. away from their... Of course, their incompetence. Yeah. Yeah. 
The $43 million, according to 2021 budget records obtained by the Daily Free Press, includes general support, such as the $10 million from Twitter co-founder Jack Dorsey, Ah. as well as donations for specific projects. Interesting. So someone from Twitter, a (laughs) co-founder, literally gave Kendi $10 million for research, for conducting a research that basically the, the answer there is already. These people have already decided that all racial disparities are caused by racial discrimination and that they have already built the framework with anti-racism and how to be. So there is nothing to research, honestly. Those of you who gave him money, <laughs> just this level of stupidity I've, should be illegal. I've got nothing to say. Yeah. <laughs> I'm lost for words. We have more donors here. The document, which is not an all-inclusive list of donors, also lists TJ Maxx's foundation, Stop and Shop, and Peloton as donating over a million dollars. Wow. So here he says things like, my hope is that it becomes a premier research center for researchers and for practitioners to really solve these intractable racial problems over time. Well, okay. uh, the best person to... uh, do this is either a person who can define racism or a person who thinks that basically racism is inherent in the universe and cannot be solved. Again, congratulations for giving this person money for research. <laughs> and we have other stuff here. So there are multiple allegations. People who are laid off there are blaming the culture of mismanagement, mismanaging funds. They're saying things like Kendi um, wasn't good, wasn't cut out to be the best administrator. And let us say here, go here on the layoffs and funding. Somewhere it says here, let me find it. Okay, somewhere he got a leave. Got a leave of absence. Oh. I, I can't find it here. It Does, doesn't matter. Just read the oh, article. It's just brilliant. Oh, I see. The sentence was postponed until Kendi, who was on leave as of July the 31st. Yeah. Returned. I mean, he had to take a break from research. <laughs> <laughs> When you're researching things. Researching nothing. Yeah, you have to take a break as well. Okay, so there are multiple allegations about mismanagement of funds, about uh, bad uh, treatment of people. Maybe they weren't in the, on the right side of history. Doesn't sound good. Okay, Tim Crowley here, tweet. Dr. Ibram X. Kendi was an academic rock star after all. When you hear an academic be, being called a rock star, Judith Butler is another often described this way. It's pretty much a red flag. Yep. I'm a, Never a, heard of such a thing. An academic rock star. Well, it's about treating them like Oh, I such. see. Oh, and, I see. Uh, I think that, for instance, if you think how people treat rock stars in a completely sentimental way, there are people who completely shut their minds, completely shut their re- reason when they listen to people because mm. reason is a bad thing, apparently. <laughs> Uh, it's a colonialist um, right. residue or something. Mm-hmm. You shouldn't just let your emotions take over. Let your emotions that will work. Yeah, yeah. conquer you. Yeah. <laughs> we have here um, Boston University is investigating Ibram Kendi's anti-racism center following allegations that he mismanaged grant funding, failed to deliver key projects, and unleashed employment violence on staff. Employment violence. Well, this is. I mean. This is, again, allegations. And I am willing to say that when you are 
so much into this idea of uh, psychological harm. I really don't know what to make of that. I mean, literally anything could count like violence That's, when uh, you are so woke. That is quite the allocation. That's ooh, yeah, but also very serious. The, the mismanaging grant funding is also funny here because the allegations are saying that the out the research output of that center is really poor, mm. which I think it was kind of be expected. So. I kind of want him to get away with it because it, <laughs> it's a kind of Darwin's revenge. Right, got yeah. you. Okay, uh, next one. Here we have Philip Copeland is one of the major collaborators. He was saying that Boston University needs to explain how one of its premier centers ended up in this situation and how mass layoffs are anti-racist. Oh, really? So mass layoffs are anti-racist? So this is a sort of anti-racist civil war here. Oh, I'm just... But, but but that is an issue, and th this is something that literally people in academic departments should take into account. When you are employing people who have such an agenda, which is bollocks, uh, <laughs> you are also uh, preventing other good people and people who have actually done research from getting positions, and you are destroying universities. And then you these these. This kind of rhetoric that you are allowing to grow will come and bite you. So, I would laugh, <laughs> but as we said before, there is such a thing as dangerous nonsense. Now let's go. Next one, we have more from the same allegations about how this was uh, really bad um, practice. Not looking good for him. Yeah. And so we have here Coleman Hughes, who I think is a really brilliant voice. He has really interesting stuff to say. He says, so Candy received tens of millions in 2020, did nothing with it, and alienated and mismanaged his entire stuff. I, for one, am shocked. Shocked. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. So how does all this strike you? Again, I want to say these, these are allegations. Okay. But don't, don't just see the point. Yeah, I mean... Allegations, some serious allegations in there that uh, definitely need to be investigated. And, you know, if true, I mean, I'm not sure what the punishment is for all of that, but yeah, it's but not looking good. We need some common sense. We do. Okay, when, you give, when you give grants for research to someone who basically tells you between the lines, just read between the lines, okay? Yeah. Read between the lines. He yeah. tells you there is nothing to be researched here. Yeah. All there is, all, all that is left is for me to sell books by just constantly describing everything as being an outcome of racism. Mm. Well, it's interesting, stories of, of Black Lives Matter as well, a yeah. very well-known anti-racist organization, quote-unquote, um, that there has been, I think in the UK, it's just come out about a fraud, um, misuse of money. Which is here. Oh, right. Yeah. <laughs> Oh wow! I, like, I didn't even look. Yeah, this this was just uh, for, for to end with this. Oh, brilliant! Okay, Black Lives Matter protester admits fraud over missing donations. Of course, um, I believe it's uh, Zara Salim, co-founder of the group that toppled the statue of Edward Colston. Right, and she's talking here. She admitted. It says here. I'm just reading from the Times. A woman who is who helped organize the Black Lives Matter protest that toppled the statue of the slave trader Edward Colston has admitted fraud after 30,000 pounds donated by the public went missing. Well, just this is just to... Just went missing. Thin air. Interesting. Yeah. Well, they just disappeared. They will manifest somewhere. Gosh. 
It will yeah. manifest somewhere. It would just, yeah, you just think of it and it would just arrive. Yeah. Oh. I, I've, well, there you have it. That's, I've got nothing else to say about that other than that story just popped into my mind. And what do you know? It's in the segments. Right. I hope you I don't manifest feel, it. I hope you don't feel brain fried after this. <laughs> I am a little, but it's all good. Okay. Part of it. Great. Uh, let's go to the comments. Great. Challenge accepted. Sargon, 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 Sargon. I love that Dan's taken a page out of my advertising book. <laughs> By the way, on the topic of pizza, homemade stuffed crust. Oh, that looks nice. I will say uh, I want to have I want to win the pizza challenge. For me, Friday night is pizza night. I will cook my pizzas, and they're be- better than every any pizza that Carl advertised <laughs> and other people have advertised. And Phil Labonte from Timcast is talking about. Uh, I'll have I'll create the best pizza. Just take my word for it. There you go. Right, let's go to the comments. Okay, excellent episode today by Ross Diggle. Always enjoy it when you have Lewis and the Lotus Eaters own academic rock star Stelios on. Hey, thank you. Thank you. Um, what I said before, you can make an exception with me. Okay. <laughs> uh, Michael Megua. Okay, uh, off topic. Whoever suggested the SS Nazi be honored in Canada is the greatest troll of all time. <laughs> they made every <laughs> elected official look like a colossal fool and ass. Yeah, it's very did, funny. Did you watch the video? Yeah, I did. Yeah, it's outrageous. But it's almost, it's just a meme that wrote itself. Yeah. It's so funny just but, seeing liberals do something so stupid. But it's also funny because these people are constantly talking about censoring stuff. Oh, of course. And yeah. They know better and they had literally <laughs> someone with that kind of past. Yeah. And they're not, they didn't even have him as a guest. They were clapping also. Maybe they gave him a standing ovation or something. Conservatives were in there as well. So I shouldn't just aim at liberals, but still. Right. Uh, New York City defeated by buses. Okay. Transportation wombat. As someone from Texas. Good. I'm loving seeing them contort themselves into mental pretzels because they have <laughs> spent years bashing and belittling my state for saying it was a problem. The insult of being a sanctuary city, yet not previously getting the immigrant population, was taking the piss by design. Yeah. These fools have gotten what they voted for. I don't want to give away everything we have built over 200 years. Our forefathers built this land, and because of idiots at the top, it's going to get looted and destroyed. I, I, I understand. Uh, I, I definitely understand this sentiment. And I want to say that this, this is an issue with politicians in Washington, for instance, who they may not encounter on their day-to-day lives the actual consequences of their policies. Mm. When you don't look on the street you're walking mm-hmm. and the street you're driving and you don't see it filled by you know, masses of people, mass flows of people, it's easy to make all these, let's say, calculations of yeah. political gain and yeah. stuff. Okay, uh, Ethelstan95, AOC repeating the sanctions line is not the first time I have heard that argument from a communist. <laughs> Real socialism has not been tried. Has been replaced with socialism would have be- worked if it was not for those meddling kids <laughs> and their dumb capitalists. That's funny. And if AOC was in Stalin's position, 
the world right now would be a classless society. Of course. Uh, ben Croning. So Adam says immigration will destroy New York, but it won't destroy the USA. He is super mega ultra NIMBY man. He surely can't be that deluded. Well, it's political cost calculation. He understands that some people within the swing voter category who were going to vote Democrats now are beginning to rethinking of the situation. That's, the, that's where the whole game is played. It's the swing voters. Um, Theodore Brewer, the Democrats are the masters of NIMBYism. Vengeance is a dish best served cold. Yeah, best served cold, definitely. Sophie Liv, always funny how these people love blue politics until the exact moment the consequences hit <laughs> Yeah. Omar Awad, the most hypocritical, disgusting, uh, infuriating thing about pro-illegal st stances is that they'll never extend a fraction of that level of charity to our own homeless, yeah, that's true. dispossessed, and struggling population. Yep. It's literally ecophobic genocide. I think this is spot on. Yeah. And there's a reason why this happens. It's mm. just when you have progressive politics and minority groups that governments want to appeal to, and they know that these groups are not uh, compatible, for instance, you have people who are in favor of trans rights, people who are in favor of women's rights, and also people who are, let's say, very stepped into uh, the Sharia law. Mm. All these th three groups are completely incompatible. But the only way to put them together and convince them to unite under a common banner, the banner of progressivism, is by inventing a common enemy, yeah. which is always invariably the, common, the, the native people. Colin P., you vote for these policies, you get what you voted for. Damn straight. Uh, Derek Power. So Eric Adams thinks he can insult most of the country and still expect to get support. He and his predecessors have made the bet. Go lie in it. Um, Arizona Desert Rat. Has AOC actually spent time talking to the people fleeing Venezuela? Whenever when Venezuelans are interviewed by journalists, they say they're running from the socialist regime. Yeah. She hasn't, but she thinks that it's a way of virtue signaling. Of course. She would never criticize her own ideologue. ideologue. Yeah. Thomas Howell, cut the Democrat mayor some slack. New York is a powerhouse in innovation. Look at how tiny his violin was. Hmm. And uh, Nicholas Valentine, maybe people like Eric Adams should not have written checks for others that they themselves were not willing to pay. I always thought New York welcomes migrants and classed itself as a sanctuary city. They should be thanking places like Texas and Florida for allowing them to prove that. <laughs> okay, do you, want, do you want to read sure. uh, some of these comments? Yeah, so Ross Diggle. Um, oh, gosh. Ambivalent? Ambivalent. Uh, I, ambivalent, sorry, apologies. Uh, crime would probably be my favorite crime if I had any feelings towards it. Um, Colin P. So if I report Chris Packham for a hate crime in inciting violence because people don't agree with him about the crime, <laughs> <laughs> I think people should mass report him it, just for it, a laugh. Not everyone's anxiety counts the same. Yeah. Just We're all happen. anxious beings, but some people's anxiety counts for more. <laughs> Uh, Omar Awad uh, says, now that we're part of the United Kingdom of North Korea, how long before the first family of three generations gets gulags for not rescuing the nonce flag from a burning building? I'm sort of glad all this nonsense is so well documented. If there's ever a regime change, there's going to be hell to pay. Uh, Colin P says, am I allowed to hate the very idea of hate crimes? No, you're not, bigot. 
Um, <laughs> Henry Ashman says, uh, did the shopkeeper say whether the rainbow carrier bags cost more than normal ones? I can see a scam coming. That's actually a good point. I didn't even think of that, whether it would cost like 30p more, which is probably something they would do. Um, Derek Power, to be fair, if a company doesn't want to hire me for any non-crime hate incidents, I may have. Um, I don't want to work for them anyway. Yeah, I don't blame you. <laughs> I don't blame you. Take your business somewhere, someplace else, basically. Uh, Colin P. once again, no thanks. I brought my own bag to help the environment. <laughs> yes, that's the way to get around it. 100%. <laughs> right. Um, uh, Sophie Liv. Uh, there are only two academics I will acknowledge as rock stars, Thomas Sowell and Jordan Peterson. Good choices. Good choices. And I, I want to add one if you haven't uh, checked already. Victor Davis Hansen is a brilliant voice. He has really sophisticated analyses of uh, situations. Uh, Arizona Desert Rat. I'm kind of worrying if the center is getting shut down because they're having a hard time finding examples of systemic racism that have data to support their claims. That's what I thought. Yeah. Interestingly enough, this was one of the areas where it was felt that the research output has been poor. But on the other hand, again, there's no research because these are frequently normative claims that could just say, okay, I, I felt there was racism. Anyway. Sophie Liv, I agree with Stelios, those who put anti uh, in front of anything, they're probably the ones doing that thing. So anyway. <laughs> yeah. Ross Diggo, Ibram X. Kendi, get rid, read of racism. You have, you to, have continue. to continue it. Yeah. yeah. It's just the new kind of logic. It's just, it just operates in a weird way. Don't try to rationalize things. <laughs> it's racist. Colin P. So a self-defining loop then. Um, yep. Yep. Uh, Colin P. Anti-racism is just reverse racism. Exactly. Lone Nerva. I, for one, I'm shocked to see a self-professed anti-racist breaking all sorts of laws and perpetually failing upwards. Shocked. I tell I'm you. so shocked. Yeah. yeah. And honorable mentions, George Hap, the carrier bag incident shows that the alphabet mob don't want tolerance, but acceptance and fear. Yep. It's also a reminder that the police are nothing more than the teeth of the state willing to enforce any garbage law. Yes, exactly. Couldn't have said it better. I think fear is leading to domination yep. and the future we're looking at, if the current trend of progressivist politics policies continues is basically a fear where uh, a state of fear of differentiating yourself by the main official narrative fear um fear is a very valuable currency for the politician because they can enact right. whatever they want okay so um before we finish do you want to tell us again when people sure because i i really enjoyed our conversation yes same. i think it was brilliant i hope Thank you enjoyed you. it as well and let's hear where people can hear find more from you so you can find me on twitter where I just post any old nonsense. That's Lewis underscore Brackpool. Um, and you can find me on Instagram, which I post any old nonsense on there as well, <laughs> on Lewis Brackpool. And of course, I'm on YouTube, um, making my own sort of content, which I post nonsense on there too. Uh, you just find my name, Lewis Brackpool. Pretty easy. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, I hope you enjoyed our podcast and see you tomorrow. See you Goodbye. later.